I invite you to turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. As we celebrate the Lord's table on the first Sunday of the month, it is good for us to be diligent not to let our celebration of the Lord's table become an empty ritual, but we want to be informed and to cultivate a worshipful attitude as we approach the table. And so uh, the sermon today is called Table Talk, uh, as it's talk about uh, the Lord's table. And I'd like to begin by reading Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 through 27. Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 21, Holy Scripture says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord, and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would shine the light of your truth into our hearts, that you would open the eyes of our heart to see beautiful and wonderful things in your word that we might grow thereby. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we begin to unpack this passage, I'd like to start in a place that would be easy to overlook. Israelites experienced the original Passover event in their respective households, and in the future, they were to keep the Passover festival in their households. The Passover celebration was decentralized, and it was the responsibility of the head of the household, the father, to see to it that the entire household kept the Passover feast according to God's instruction. And this helps us to understand verses 26 and 27, where Moses envisions at some future time children asking their fathers, what do you mean by this service? referring to the Passover feast. And the answer is not, good question, go ask the local priest. Good question, go ask the nearest prophet. Good question, go ask your pastor. The father himself was to be a competent teacher of God's statutes and ordinances. And so so Moses instructs fathers what to say. He's shepherding fathers to shepherd their children. And, of course, the father had a much greater responsibility than to simply memorize the answer that Moses gives in verse 27. As you look 
in the book of Deuteronomy and in the book of Proverbs, it's obvious that the fathers and also the mothers had, had a responsibility to exposit the Word of God for their children. Now just think for a moment about how important it is that biblical theology actually be the core curriculum of your household. Your household is the center of operations for your entire life, and you spend a massive amount of time in your household, and you spend a massive amount of time with the members of your family. If your household is not pumping the lifeblood of good theology into the arteries and extremities of your life, then your household is being set up for ungodliness. On the other hand, if your household is a perpetual training ground for learning and practicing God's ways, then you will be equipped to be the savory salt and bright light that God intends. Further, the fact that God ordained the Passover feast to be celebrated household by household shows us that God intends for us to experience his redeeming grace up close and personal with the people we are closest to. If you know Israel's circumstances at the time of the original Passover event, then you know that they were slaves in the land of Egypt. The Israelites probably numbered around two million people since the men alone numbered 600,000, as you can see in Exodus 12, verse 37. They, generally speaking, they lived apart from the Egyptians in the land of Goshen. Now the Lord could have instructed Moses to kill one lamb and to apply the blood at the gate of Goshen and called it good enough. But in that case, the vast majority of Israelites would have been so far removed from the blood of the sacrificial lamb that the whole event would have been less visible, less tangible, less personal, and less participatory. But less visible, less tangible, less personal, and less participatory is not the Lord's way. The Lord's way is for every household to participate in the Passover in an up-close and personal way. While today's sermon is not primarily about the responsibility of fathers and mothers to teach their children the ways of the Lord, I do hope that this passage impresses upon you the assignment that you have from the Lord. Although there are some differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament in terms of how God's covenant is administered to the people. Nevertheless, the key role of parents in discipling their children remains constant in both the Old and New Testament. Dads and moms, you bear primary responsibility for teaching your children the gospel. Dads and moms, you bear primary responsibility for teaching your children about the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and not only teaching them about it, but preparing them to partake of it. Dads and moms, you bear primary responsibility for explaining God's promises and standards to your children. Moreover, you bear great responsibility for setting an example to your children by believing, cherishing, and practicing God's truth. As you do these things, your children will come face to face with biblical discipleship, which is up close and personal, 
relational and conversational, thick with real-life dynamics, gracious and warm, patient and yet also demanding, all governed by the Word of God. On this pathway of discipleship, each household actively participates in what God is doing with and through the whole congregation. Now, as we walk through the Passover as it unfolds in chapter 12, notice the very active role of each household. You can kind of get, get prepared. I'm going to start in verses, verse 3 in just a moment. Okay? The Passover feast meant that each household was to have a lamb of its own, or in the case of smaller households, each pair of households was to have a lamb of their own. Look at verses 3 and 4. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Verses, that's verses 3 and 4. And each household was to know and understand that the lamb taken was to be a perfect and spotless lamb. Look at verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And each household was to know and understand and experience that their own unblemished lamb was to be sacrificed. Verse 6, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. And each household was to know and understand and see that the blood from the sacrificed lamb was to be applied to the entrance of their home. Verse 7, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And each household was to know and understand and taste that the meat of the sacrificed lamb was to be literally internalized through eating it. Verses 8 and 9. Then they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. Each household was also to know and understand that the Passover meal was a holy meal. Verse 10, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. It is quite right to enjoy the leftovers of ordinary meals. The Passover meal is not an ordinary meal. Each household was also to know and understand and dress in, a, in such a way that they were ready for action. The Passover meal was not like a classic American Thanksgiving meal in which overfed people have no choice but to take refuge on the couch and watch other men on the big screen in football uniforms do the action. Participants in the Passover meal were themselves to be ready for action, verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff on your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. When you are on the cusp of redemption, you don't allow yourself to get into a long, drawn-out food coma. 
You remain attentive and watchful. You let the gravity and holiness of the moment moment have its proper effect on your outlook. You await your marching orders because, in point of fact, they were to soon be summoned out of their households there in the land of Goshen, never to return. Each household was to know and understand that the lamb's blood applied to the doorway of their house saved them from God's judgment. Look at verse 11. End of, end of verse 11. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The lamb dies, we live. Can you say that? The lamb dies, we live. Adults, say it. The lamb dies, we live. Children, say it. The, the lamb dies, the lamb dies, we live. Something to work on. <laughs> At home! Okay. Each household was to know and understand that they had to take refuge under the blood of the Lamb. After receiving the instruction from the Lord earlier in the, in the chapter, starting in verse 21, Moses actually communicates the Lord's instruction to the men of Israel. Verse 21, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. Let this last part of verse 22 sink in. I've been reading this wonderful commentary on the book of Exodus by R.J. Rushdooney. I've been reading it in preparation for uh, the the Monday school that I'm teaching, where I'm teaching through God's commandments in, in, in Exodus. And uh, I want to share a couple of quotations with you. Here's one. He's commenting on this, on verse 22. He wrote, The requirement to remain in the house all night at the first Passover meant that the blood of the lamb was their shelter. On this occasion, the blood plus the requirement to remain indoors made clear that their only security and shelter was in God's atonement. See, the blood applied to the doorway of the house gave protection to the people who were in the house. If you were inside a house where the blood had been applied to the doorway, then you were in God's appointed shelter under the protection of the blood of the Lamb. If you ventured outside the door of your house, you put yourself in grave danger. Each Israelite household was also to know and understand that the fundamental difference between an Israelite household and an Egyptian household was that Israelite households were the recipients of undeserved grace, whereas Egyptian households were the recipients of deserved judgment. Ponder these words, verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Notice what verse 23 does not say. Verse 23 does not say, 
For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, but when he sees the spiritual beauty and moral excellence of the people in your household, the Lord will pass over your house and not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. That would be salvation by our own good works, salvation by our own moral excellence, salvation by our own impressive record of exquisite obedience. But there would be no salvation in that case, for if you know anything about these Israelites, then you know that they were very much like the Egyptians, very much like us, ungodly, ungrateful, fleshly, and idolatrous. And I want to quote R.J. Rushdoony one more time. He said, listen carefully to this, there is a very important aspect to the Passover which must not be overlooked. Plagues one through three, remember there were ten plagues, plagues one through three hit both Egypt and Goshen. Plagues four through nine struck Egypt alone. Both Egyptians and Hebrews were now vulnerable to the tenth plague, which set forth God's judgment on all unatoned sin. Thus, Israel had to realize that in God's sight, they also merited judgment and death, even as Egypt did. Their only deliverance was by placing the blood of God's appointed lamb between themselves and God. They had no other immunity from the plague. From death, being the descendants of Abraham gave them no protection. Only the substitutionary blood could do that. End quote. So the fundamental difference between the Israelites and the Egyptians is found in this sobering reality. The Lord sovereignly decided to bestow grace on the Israelites, and he sovereignly decided to bestow judgment on the Egyptians. All had sinned, all had fallen short of the glory of God, all deserved to be ruined by God's wrath. But the Lord demonstrated his sovereign decision to bestow grace on the, on the Israelites by giving them and them only the gift of an atoning sacrifice, the gift of a lamb to interpose its blood between the holy judge and the sinful Israelites. Sober-minded Israelites gathered around their table in their house should have contemplated this reality and said to themselves, we are sinful people who deserve to be struck down like the Egyptians. Thanks be to God for the blood of the Lamb by which we are saved. And when Christians gather around the Lord's table we should contemplate in the same manner. We are a sinful people, and we deserve to be struck down just like any other sinner. But thanks be to God for the blood of the Lamb by which we are saved. While the Israelites were safe under the blood of the Lamb, the Egyptians had no such protection. Look at verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up! Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. 
Having been prepared for action, the Israelites did indeed arise and depart from the land of Egypt. Look at verse 40. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Now notice, going back to the passage I read at the beginning, notice that the original Passover event was to be commemorated with an annual observance. If you go back to verse 24, you shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. The point of observing the right and keeping this service is to remember, to remember the gracious salvation that the Lord had freely bestowed upon them. Each household was to celebrate and remember the grace in which they stood. Moses gave Israelite households a concise question and answer by which they can teach the meaning of the annual Passover festival. The children say, what do you mean by this service? Verse 26. And dad answers, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. After receiving this instruction about the original Passover event, the people bowed their heads and worshipped there in verse 27. And so should we, because we are the recipients of a great salvation that we don't deserve and could never earn. When God's gracious salvation is properly and humbly received, it doesn't lead us to feel entitled. Instead, salvation causes us to be grateful and to give glory to the Lord who in mercy saved us. Now, I want to I build upon this Passover foundation and dig a, dig a little bit deeper into, into this act of remembering. One indispensable key to spiritual health is remembering what God has done for us. That's why we come to, this, to the table of the Lord. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. The Israelites needed to remember where they had come from, how they had become a free people, and what that freedom required of them. Just consider a brief catalog of questions and answers that I put together that narrate Israel's redemption. Question. Oh, Israel, what were your people in times past? Answer, we were slaves in the land of Egypt. Question, what happened to your people's Egyptian overlords? Answer, the Lord humiliated Egypt with many plagues, struck down all their firstborn of both men and beast, and destroyed their army in the Red Sea. Question, what happened to your people? Answer, The Lord made a distinction between us and the Egyptians. The Lord passed over our houses. The Lord brought us out of the land of Egypt. The Lord led us through the Red Sea. The Lord brought us to the promised land. Question, why did the Lord pass over the houses of your people? Answer, not because of any merit of our own, but because the blood of a sacrificed lamb was applied to the doorframe of our houses. We were spared by God's grace through faith in the blood of the lamb. Question, for what purpose did the Lord bring your people into the promised land? Answer, that we might keep his statutes and observe his laws, just as Psalm 105, verse 45 says. Now, I want to pause right there. Turn turn forward in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to put that question and answer from Exodus 12, 
verses 26 and 27, alongside another question and answer in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 20. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20 says this, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to, to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. You see, the, the little Q&A in Exodus 12 and the little Q&A in Deuteronomy 6 are two sides of the same coin, two sides of the same precious coin of redemption. The emphasis of the Exodus 12 Q&A is God's gracious act of salvation in and of itself. It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. That's our foundation. But this foundation has a larger purpose. God's purpose in saving people is not so that they, after they're saved, they merely breathe. God's purpose in sparing people is not so that after they are spared, they merely exist. No. God's purpose is and has always been that his redeemed people flourish in practical righteousness. We stand in awe of the Lord and demonstrate our love for him by walking in obedience to his instruction for our good always. And, that, and that's the emphasis of the Deuteronomy 6 Q&A. What's the, what's the purpose of God's gracious act of salvation? So whenever we come to the table, it is fitting that we remember both sides of this redemption coin. First and foremost, we remember what the Lord has graciously done for us at the cross. And secondly, we also remember that his saving purpose is to transform our lives so that we reflect his character. Question, oh church, what were your people in time past? Answer, we were slaves to sin and captives to the domain of darkness. Question, what happened to these vicious overlords called sin and death? Answer, the Lord of life had all the rights and privileges of the firstborn of heaven. And yet, as God's chosen lamb, he entered into the realm of sin and death and was struck down as a vicarious sacrifice for the sins of his people. By his death on the cross, he atoned for sin and empty death of its power. And by his resurrection, he opened wide the gate of salvation for all who would ever call upon his name. Question, what is the meaning of this communion service? Answer, it is the Lord's Passover. The bread represents his body that was sacrificed for us. The cup represents his blood that was shed for us. The father executed judgment on his son in our place, thereby vanquishing the power of sin and death for our sake. When the father sees the mediator's precious blood interposed between him who is holy and us who are sinful, he does, as it were, pass over us removing our sentence of condemnation and declaring us to be righteous in his sight. Question, why does the Father pass over you? Answer, 
not because of any merit of our own, but because of the Lamb of God, because he shed his blood and thereby, thereby obtained for his people all the benefits of his salvation. We are gloriously saved by God's grace through faith in the blood of the Lamb. Question, for what purpose did the Father bring your people into the kingdom of his beloved Son? Answer, it's the same, that we might keep his statutes and observe his laws, just as Psalm 105, verse 45 says. The Lord's Supper is a remarkable, one-of-a-kind meal. The Lord Jesus Christ is the host of the meal. Our Lord is the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb is the host of the meal. He invites us to come and gather around him and remember. The Lamb is the sacrifice. Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. The Lamb is also the meal. Remember, the Israelites applied the blood of the Lamb to the doorframe, but they also ate the meat of the Lamb as an actual meal because the Lamb is the meal. We feed on Christ, spiritually speaking. He is our life, our nourishment, and our strength. As the lamb is the host of the meal, we remember that our own individual track record would never qualify us for a place at this table. Entitlement and individual accomplishments have no place at this table. We either come at his gracious invitation or else we are trespassing on holy property. As the lamb is the sacrifice, we remember that we are guilty, a guilty people. There is nothing that we could do to successfully atone for our sins. Sin involves us in breaking the perfect law of, of a holy God. Sin renders us unclean and unfit for any good work, and sin exacts such a price that we could never pay the debt even if we had a thousand lifetimes to pay it. All those thousand lifetimes would do would drive us deeper into sin debt. Jesus alone is the righteous redeemer whose perfect sacrifice answers the perfect law of a holy God. As the lamb is the meal, we remember that we are a weak and needy people. We need bread, provision, and strength. The Lord is the bread, the bread of life, who nourishes and sustains his people. Eat, this is my body. Drink. This is my blood of the covenant. The Lord is the host. He's the sacrifice. He's the meal. And he's the Lord who instructs us how to live. And I don't want you to come to this table this morning without brief reflection upon how we ought to live in light of the gospel which we celebrate when we come to the table. So just very briefly, just consider these brief things. Number one. When we come to the table, we remember that our Lord and teacher has humbly and gladly served us. When we leave the table, we go forth to humbly and gladly serve one another. Number two, when we come to this table, we remember that our Lord donned the form of a servant in order to meet our deepest needs. When we leave this table, we go forth considering it a great privilege to meet a portion of each other's needs. By this we know love, the Apostle John writes, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? 1 John 3, 16 and 17. Let the grace and gravity of communion open wide your heart to others. Three, 
When we come to this table, we remember that our Lord and Savior has forgiven us a great debt. When we leave the table, we go forth to forgive one another, lay down our grievances, set aside all bitterness, and walk in peace toward each other. Fourth, when we come to this table, we remember that our Lord invites the whole community of believers to share the meal together. We don't come to the table as lone rangers, but as members of God's family. When we leave the table, we go forth to welcome one another in the same way that the Lord has welcomed us. See Romans 15, 7. Number five, when we come to this table, we remember that the Lord who loves his people doesn't show favoritism on account of our personal, cultural, or economic advantages. And he doesn't despise anyone on account of personal, cultural, or economic disadvantages. When we leave this table, we go forth to practice Christ-centered community, as the Apostle Paul taught us. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts. Colossians 3, 11 and 12. Number six, when we come to this table, we remember that our Lord paid dearly for our many sins. Treating sin lightly is not an option for anyone who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. A crucified for sin king teaches you to love him and hate sin. We must learn to speak honestly about sin, which is so egregious that the death of the king is the the only way out of it. When we leave this table, we go forth to live a holy life. And finally, when we come to this table, we remember that in the face of great injustice and unjust suffering, our Lord committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 1 Peter 2, 22 and 23. And in all this, Christ left you an example that you should follow in his steps. 1 Peter 2, 21. Therefore, when we leave this table, we must go forth to patiently endure evil. Brothers and sisters, eat and drink the supper of the Lord and let his gospel shape your life. As the Apostle Paul told the Galatians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this holy table where we eat and drink and taste and remember the grace of our God, the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and your wonderful salvation. Father, I pray that you would nourish us and strengthen us as your holy people. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.